Welcome into the 11 Dubcast. It's Johnny. It's Andy. We're sitting here. We're, we're, we're staying frosty. We're doing what we need to do, socially distancing ourselves. I mean, we normally, I don't know if you guys know this, normally we sit actually side by side when we record the Dubcast and we actually hug each other while we do it. And it, it creates a really good bonding moment uh, and allows us to be on the same wavelength while we're recording. But it, not to, not this time. This time in the past few times, we have been on our separate homes and so, Andy, how's everything going? How, how's life? Life is uh, good at Casa del Vance. We've been checking some things off the proverbial honeydew list. And, you there know, you we broke out the Nintendo Wii and had some Mario Kart races with the first grader over the weekend. So, you know, we are we are living our best lives in quarantine Columbus. There you go. I uh, Last weekend, my wife and I aerated the lawn, which makes me officially old and lame. So that's fun. Uh, I, <laughs> but I'm, hopefully I'm, our backyard won't be a swamp anymore. And that's, well, that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty important homeowner task. And I'm I'm waiting and watching. I'm thinking I need to get a soil temp probe. So uh, I've got some reseeding here to do at our uh, way too muddy backyard. But I want to make sure that we're going to have good temperatures for germination so i'm not just scattering my seed in the muck and leaving it to die so yeah i'm i'm right there with you my brother no that's what we're doing no screw that that's what we're doing we're just we're just throwing <laughs> grass seed at the lawn and if it takes it takes if it doesn't it doesn't um you're fine it'll be yeah, great it'll be, fine. it'll be fine uh so speaking of reseeding and replenishing ohio state we do have actual ohio state football news to discuss that's an incredible about. segue right there I know, well right well I, done I, I thought of it i'm so good at this um <laughs> ohio state the the much maligned tony alford just taking a lot of hits on his recruiting prowess and maybe some of the things that he was or wasn't doing when it comes to bringing in big time ohio state recruits ohio state just got a five-star running back travion henderson this weekend uh this is a dude i look i'll be honest i'm not the kind of person who gets super into the recruiting ups and downs because First of all, when you're this far out from someone actually stepping foot on campus, who knows what can happen in college football? There's so many things that can happen between now and the first game that a player plays. I just, it's hard for me to get super invested. With that said, this Henderson dude, if you haven't watched his game tape, I really recommend that people go on YouTube, go on the site, check it out. It is. It is one of those guys where you see his athletic ability, which is evident, and he's blazingly fast and all these other things. But what really, really impresses me is that he's decisive. And that is the difference between a really great athlete who has the potential to be a good running back or a great running back and somebody who already is a great running back. And when this guy makes a cut or makes a decision, he just goes for it. And it doesn't always work out. Sometimes he doesn't get 500 yards or whatever. But he is quick, he's decisive, he's really, really good at following his blocks, and I just think this is the type of player that is perfectly suited to step in the kind of role that people saw with J.K. Dobbins. He can also catch a few passes. I'm just really excited about this prospect, and I think that Ryan Day and company are going to just love having him on the squad. And, and frankly, I, I just, to me, he seems like a quintessential, if you can even say that at this point, but he seems like a quintessential Ryan Day athlete ryan day player a guy who can be modular a guy who can do different things in your offense but also do one thing really really well which is run the football what i love ab about this and you you talked about uh coach getting his groove on uh <laughs> yeah. got it got his mojo back whatever you want to say i mean you looked and said urban meyer 
coach teams were known to be some of the best recruiters in in the business, right? Like that was that was the Urban Meyer difference was that they were going to go wherever the talent was and bring it home every time. Yeah. Is it is it possible? Is it too early to say that maybe under Ryan Day, this crew is recruiting at an even better clip than the master himself? I mean, I'm just kind of blown away with what they've done with this 20 and 21 classes. You go down this um, 2021 class, you've got the number two ranked defensive end, the number three pro style quarterback, the number two inside linebacker, the number one offensive guard, the number two running back now with Henderson. I mean, that's just boom, 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 boom. And yeah. I mean, and a whole bunch of other guys that are in there in the number six, number eight, uh, number, number 10 in their position group. So, you know, you're, you're talking about the cream of the crop. And as you, as you pointed out, I think, a guy who fits the Ryan Day mold really well. So, I mean, what do you, what, what do you think? Are they has has Ryan Day turned it up a notch from even what his uh, his predecessor had accomplished? I think it's hard to say that over just the first couple of recruiting classes. But like you mentioned, if you look at this group, you look at fifteen people in the twenty twenty one class. Ten of them are in the top one hundred uh, recruits in the country. <laughs> That's you have ten percent. One school has ten percent right now, and they're not Nothing. done. And so I just. To me, that is a that is pretty insane. That is pretty insane. And I mean, look, at this point, you're not really competing against the rest of the Big Ten. And I know that's, you know, Michigan is the metric that Ohio State tends to um, judge themselves against historically. But Michigan's got what, like two, three commits at this point. Um, uh, right now, you're really judging yourself against what Nick Saban's doing, what Davis Swinney's doing. And that's. Like, I was afraid, I will be completely honest, I was afraid that Ryan Day would have a drop-off in that area. I thought, if anything, if there was going to be a part in Ryan Day's coaching tenure that you were going to be a little disappointed in, it might have been the recruiting. And obviously, that has completely yeah. turned out to be wrong. Not yet. <laughs> no. And, and look, if that's the metric, if the metric is, can we compete against Clemson and Alabama, in that field alone, in recruiting, the answer is unequivocally yes, and we can beat them. So I, I'm incredibly impressed what's going to happen or what's been happening. I don't know if it's super sustainable long term because this is just otherworldly. But as it is, that is an incredible class. And that's what's going to help sustain the Ryan Day tenure for a really long time. You can have some attrition in the coaching staff. You can have some hiccups when it comes to you know personnel or some other things. Or maybe you don't make the right call and who should start where. But when you have that much talent and you can still be that deep, which is really what, you know, I think won Ohio State a lot of games, you know, under Urban Meyer. It's just the depth is just insane. Yeah. You can rotate guys on the defensive line and the offensive line and not lose a beat. When you can maintain that depth, that sets you up for long-term success. So I'm just, yeah, I, I'm beyond impressed. I think it's unbelievable. Well, and then to illustrate your point about Michigan and the Big Ten in general not being the measuring stick, uh, Mick Walker had a great piece at 11 Warriors on Sunday that uh, folks should go back and read uh, the, the counter Intel series, looking at what the other big 10 teams are doing. And you run down through there and you're like, it, it's night and day difference. Yeah. What Ohio state's doing versus I mean, <laughs> it was funny. Uh, Ohio state's had 15 commitments. So this is great. 15 commitments in between times that Michigan <laughs> scored commitments in the same class. Right. 15 in between two, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. Ohio state's getting the you know quality and quantity um, where, you know, the traditional big 10 powers 
aren't. And I thought the best uh, the best barometer of how well this staff's recruiting is when you looked at the 21-21 football recruiter rankings. Um, what was that? Uh, uh, one, two, three, four, five of the top eight recruiters in the country are on staff in Ohio State. Yeah, led led by Tony Alford, who's you know now obviously the the king of the hill. He and he and Brian Hartline are just lighting it up out there. Yeah, you love and, to see and that's, it. And that's the thing. Like the other thing that I love about this is is kind of the the storyline that Tony Alford has been able to turn on its head, which is that you know he's not recruiting well or they're not getting what they need to get, et cetera. Um, obviously nobody's going to be telling that story anymore. And I kind of, I kind of love that because Ohio state has been the beneficiary of some incredible running back play. And I don't think Alford has gotten a lot of credit for it. I, you know, people talk about, you know, these, these secondary players and these cornerbacks, like, Oh man, Kerry Combs kicking ass. He's the best coach ever. People love his enthusiasm. He coaches these guys up. You know, where we talk about the offensive line doing really well, we want to believe these offensive line coaches. And we talk about Larry Johnson. We have not talked about Tony Alford and that same kind of adulation. And this is a dude who has overseen a 2000 yard rusher, Ezekiel, like, like all this other stuff. And people aren't, I don't know. I, it's interesting to me how that's worked out. So I'm glad that he's getting some props. It's, it's well-deserved again, to your point about recruiting stuff. If you can look at the rankings, Ohio state sits at the top and, and that's, you know, again, a large function of the fact that they already have 15 commits. Um, but other schools have a lot of commits as well. I mean, you look at North Carolina, Florida, Clemson, these are the teams that are right behind. They all have 10 or more, uh, but Ohio state with three, five-star recruits, uh, 10, four-star recruits right now. It's just insane. Um, and then, I mean, you know, if you compare that to the rest of the big tents, the, the discrepancy gets even more ridiculous right now. Wisconsin is the second ranked uh, team in the Big Ten in the recruiting rankings. They have three four-star recruits. Uh, that's it. That's that's where they're at. So they got th- three they got versus how many four-stars did you say? Ten with Ohio State. <laughs> Ohio State is more than triple the amount of four-star recruits as the next highest in the uh, in the Big Ten. Now, Michigan does have one five-star, uh, but total they have four recruits right now. And it's, I don't know, it, it, it's, it is really kind of stark. And there was, there was some blow-up, I think, on uh, – on uh twitter about a week or so ago i think steve douche i can't remember this dude's name uh michigan guy does a podcast for maven illustrated um and basically said that like the the problem with michigan isn't the talent discrepancy it's it's different and i i think i can understand i i can see the point that he's getting at which is that talent doesn't always beat talent it takes coaching to to get talent to play well and i I understand that michigan's coaching has been bad but to act like the talent discrepancy between ohio state and the rest of the big 10 including michigan isn't vast and growing I, i think kind of denies what the issue is um with the rest of the big 10 so until they're they're recruiting at the level that ohio state's been and i know that's not really possible at this point but until they get somewhere within the same universe it's going to be really, really hard for somebody to challenge Ohio State long term because I don't see a program. I, I see a lot of programs that are doing good things, right? And we've talked about this. Minnesota, like Wisconsin, has been incredibly consistent, but I think that's mostly due to the fact that they've had really great coaching and not necessarily great talent, and they need to have both because right now it looks like Ohio State does. So I don't know. And, I don't and the know thing about like that is, is that yeah, well, these things feed off of each other, right? So you you look and say performance. Uh, how the team performs on the field, how you perform as a position coach, if you're the position coach recruiting that player and so on, 
I, I mean, I think those things, it, it makes something of a feedback loop. So if right. you're a recruit watching Michigan, as an example, and you say, God, they've just been terrible for, you know, and terrible by relative terms, I'm, I'm, I'm saying we're, we're not talking about, you know, four and, and eight teams and sure. such. So, but you look and say, gosh, when was the last time they were really even a threat uh, to, to take a big 10 conference? And so you're watching that and saying, well, you know, why would I go there if those players aren't performing up to their potential? You know, they were, they were highly recruited players and, you know, who's, who's the best player to come out of Michigan in a given position in a given, in the last, in the Harbaugh era on the, on the flip side of that, if you look at Wisconsin or Minnesota or some of these other schools that have been doing well, you might say, wow, gosh, those guys are performing really well with, you know, underrated talent comparatively or, or lesser talented players, uh, you know, by the star ratings comparison. Maybe I do want to go there because obviously those guys know what they're doing. Right. And, and, it, and I think it feeds on itself because then you, you know, you're able to recruit better players because players look and say, wow, those coaches are really good. Uh, and of course, then with Ohio State, your trump card is you walked into Michigan and you plucked the coaches that you thought were the best coaches on the roster and look at how much better their units are performing in Columbus than they did in Ann right. Arbor. Right. So right. exactly. That's, that's, that's a piece of the puzzle too. Yeah. And, it, and you know, it's not like recruits exist in some kind of bubble where they don't you know, see all this stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, they are impacted by all of this. And I think that's an incredibly important thing to point out that you just said, because they, they, they know what's going on. They're watching these games. They're seeing what's happening to these coaching staffs. If they're, you know, part of a, a skill position, right. Where they want to see where they can rack up the most yardage and they want to see where they can make the most impact and, and make a name for themselves. And Ohio state has done a very, very good job at doing that for all kinds of players, um, you know, in the past like five, 10 years. So I just, I don't know. It, it's interesting to see how it's unfolded. Ohio state right now is an embarrassment of riches. We'll see how it all plays out once they actually get on the field. But speaking of that, I want to make another transition here. We're, let's talk about getting on the field because right now nobody is, nobody's on the field. We're, we're all hunkering down. We're doing what we need to do, uh, you know, to kind of flatten the curve here. But, you know, we're recording this on Sunday night. The NCAA is going to meet tomorrow and they're going to talk about eligibility um, for uh, spring athletes and, and see if that's something that they're going to do. So they're going to vote on that. And I got to tell you something. We talked about this with Coach Ryan and what that's going to look like for spring and winter athletes. And, and will they be extended extra eligibility? And according to CBS Sports, uh, apparently this conversation has gone sideways, according to an athletic director at one of the Power Five schools. So. I, this is what I think. The biggest stumbling block here, the biggest point of contention is going to be money. The NCAA gets most of their revenue. I wouldn't say most. I don't know if it's most necessarily, but they get a ridiculously large chunk of their revenue from March Madness. The NCAA men's basketball tournament is an incredibly important moneymaker for the NCAA. It generates, you know, a enormous percentage of their overall yearly revenue. Without that, not having that, um, they have to make a lot of decisions about what their cash flow is going to look like going forward. And a lot of schools don't get to share in that money. They, they lose that money as well. If you're an NCAA institution, you don't get the money generated from March Madness. As a result, you may not feel super excited about uh, extending you know, eligibility, which will cost money to people who might have missed out on spring or winter sports, because that's scholarships are going to, you know, extra scholarships are going to cost you more money. And now you suddenly don't have part of that revenue that would have normally come from March Madness. 
So schools have a financial incentive not to agree to that. I don't know, Andy, how do you how do you feel that's going to play out tomorrow? Because a lot of people and, and obviously by the time this broadcast will know, but a lot of people are thinking this is going to be a lot more difficult than you would think. Like it, it should be a slam dunk. There should be something that people would just say, yes, let's do it. But I don't know. What what was telling to me when this discussion first started weeks ago was, and so you have two different issues, though. So you have spring sports um, that maybe are more obvious because those sports didn't have any of their season. Uh, right, didn't spring, play anything. Didn't play anything. So that, that seems more obvious that you would say, yes, those athletes deserve uh, an additional year of eligibility um, because they, they didn't get to play versus the winter sports, basketball and wrestling, maybe the the, the two most obvious, um, you know, for us here, because I was looking forward to the wrestling tournament and, and Ohio State had two number one seeds and Luke Fletcher and Colin Moore. Obviously, March Madness is is the big deal. You know, that that's a tougher call, whether or not you extend a, an additional year to those because they had their entire regular seasons and for Big Ten players, you know, and some, some um, you know, part of the Big Ten tournament even. So, you look and say, okay, do you let those student athletes come back for one more rodeo because they didn't get to finish the tournaments? Uh, but then, you know, look at our wrestlers as an example. Okay, both of them, uh, or, or you know, the senior captains, you know, were able to go and win Big Ten titles. So, do, do they have a shot to come back and get another <laughs> Big Ten title? It, it just gets it just gets more difficult with the winter sports. So, right. I've been of the mind that winter sports probably aren't going to get an additional year of, of eligibility regardless. Um, you know, Tom Ryan made some good case, good cases uh, when he was on the podcast with us a few weeks ago that they should still do something in terms of having some postseason tournament, whether you run it this summer, whether somebody picks it up and does it independently privately, you know, so there's going to be some closure to the season because as it is, you just kind of have a big asterisk at the end there. Same thing with the basketball tournament, you know, what is there, are there any op- opportunities or options to do, some NCAA tournament light, and eh, probably not because that's a logistical challenge to get something like that thrown together. Now, what what was interesting, I think, about the Dodd piece and, and what he was bringing up about why this may not be a slam dunk even for spring sports. Um, number one, the NCAA, as you as you noted, lost a lot of money. Sixty percent of the NCAA's revenue distribution to members on because of the loss of March Madness. Right. Um, and then USA Today apparently projected that granting seniors, just seniors, an additional year of eligibility would cost the Power Five school somewhere between a half million and $900,000. So, okay, that's not a big deal for Ohio State. That's probably not a big deal for the Big Ten or SEC schools as a whole. But if you go down to one of the non-Power Five conferences, those schools could be in a hell of a hurt if they have to figure out where to come up with that kind of money. We, I mean, we talk about NCAA money as though it's this bottomless, you know, well of currency, but outside of the big fish, you know, maybe that's a tougher thing. Division two, on the other hand, has already granted an additional year of eligibility to athletes competing in their spring sports, but a different thing there in terms of the funding model from D2 right, exactly. and D3 than it is with D1. So right. um, I, I could see anything happening out of this vote. I mean, really anything could happen at this point because so much of it comes back to money, but the PR of not doing the right thing, people aren't going to be super, um, I don't think receptive to NCAA crying in their cornflakes about money right now. Everybody's worried about money with right. the COVID-19 situation. 
I will, I'll be honest, I'm kind of pessimistic about this because I think it'd be one thing if it were about, you know, okay, we're missing fall sports, right? Or even winter sports with basketball. But the larger issue for me is what are the sports that are going to be missing, right? And and are people yeah. really going to get up in arms about missing baseball, for example? Is that is that going to be something that, you know, the NCAA is like, man, we can't take a PR hit on that. Because to me, you know, even with some of the Power Five schools they rely significantly on students subsidizing you know their athletic departments schools subsidizing their athletic departments they may look at this as an opportunity almost to say like look we don't like we spend a ton of money trying to maintain these secondary you know these second tier sports uh maybe we just don't want to have to to try to like extend these scholarships we don't want to take another hit and if we don't think that people will get mad enough about it and hold us accountable, then why should we do it? So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what, you know, plays out. And by the time this, uh, you know, broadcast, by the time we put this out on Tuesday, we'll know. But I just, like I said, I'm not super optimistic about it. I, I think the right thing to do would be to extend that eligibility. But I, I can see why a lot of, you know, member institutions would balk at that and say we don't want to spend the cash. So I don't know. Hopefully they do the right thing. Hopefully they do yeah. the right thing. And, you know, we'll see. I'll never be in. I'll never be an NCAA apologist because it always seems like you say, just do the right thing. The NCAA will do the opposite of that. Yeah, uh, right. You know, the, the, the old saying about common sense, not being so common uh, applies um, doubly. So <laughs> to the NCAA, but yeah. in this case, I, I do have empathy for um, the people on that, that committee uh, was at the board of governors. I think that'll be um, the NCAA council. Yeah. It's the council. Um, that's going to vote on this. I, I feel for the folks having to make that decision because it affects a lot of people um, and could have precedent. You know, that was the other thing I thought Dodd made a good point in his piece talking about why this isn't a slam dunk because you could be setting precedent um, because if football gets monkeyed with because uh, this this pandemic stretches on into summer, um, I mean, we've already scrapped spring ball in essence, right? There is no spring ball. Right. So, you know, you, you've got a lot bigger issue if for some reason we come back and say, well, what do we have to do uh, for football? Because if we do it for spring sports, then then we're going to have to do it for football when that time comes. So, you know, I, I feel for the people having to make that decision because it's maybe not as easy as our gut. You know, on your gut level, you're like, yeah, just do it. It's the right thing right. to do. Then when you get into the weeds, it's like, okay, but how do we do it? Right. No, I agree with that. And, and you know, it is financial. And, and these are, you know, if you're a Rutgers, if you're, you know, one of the other schools that has to rely on that, it's not a simple yes or no thing because it, it does have ripple effects to the other sports that you're trying to maintain. And, you know, it can negatively affect other athletes. So I don't, I don't know. We'll see what happens with it. It's crazy times. It's things that people haven't had to deal with before. And that's just unfortunately part of, you know, what going through this process looks like, I guess. Um, the last thing I want to do before we get to ask us anything, I want to, we had a, an interesting question here on the site. So this is something that, uh, Zach put up and, uh, you know, we talked about a little bit before over the weekend and I'm curious just to, just to throw it out there. All right. So the question that Zach put out there was, uh, if you gave Ryan day a truth serum and you were allowed to ask him only one question about the football program, what would you ask him? Are there any burning questions, Andy Vance? that you want to know about the football program that you could get out of Ryan day. What would you want to know from that dude? What's it going to take? That's my, my question. What's it going to take? It's been since January 12th, 2015, since Ohio state hoisted 
the golden fleshlight and I want to know what it's going to take to get <laughs> back into that. We've had Alabama and Clemson, what, eight out of 10 spots yeah. in the college football playoff championship game. They're able to get back there every single year. Why aren't we? What's it going to okay. take? That's fair. Uh, and I think you would get a lot of interesting answers from him on that. I, you know, like <laughs> he may say, we need to cheat just as hard as they hey, are. <laughs> if that's what the truth serum brings out, that's what I want to know. I'm not saying yeah, we should I mean, do it, but I want to know. But I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> I Look, I want to know, this is what I would ask. I would want to know what his honest to God, truthful opinion is uh, on Urban Meyer as both a boss and as a play caller. So in other words, how, what is, what is, do we accurately venerate Urban Meyer, you know, with the whole ERO stuff and four to six seconds, continuous ever, all that stuff. Is that, is that something he thinks is valuable? And does on the same level, does he think that Urban Meyer is, you know, the, the legendary play caller game planner, all that other stuff that he's been given credit for, because they think a lot of that in the last maybe two seasons of Urban Meyer's tenure, maybe not the former, but the latter kind of had the sheen taken off of it a little bit. And I'm really curious to know what Ryan Day would say about Urban Meyer's coaching, like play calling philosophy in, in like the 20, you know, late 20 teens, early 2020s. Like ha- has the game left him by? Because the reason why I would ask that is as much as I loved and love Jim Tressel, as a human being. And even as a coach, I, I very much enjoyed how Ohio state had this anaconda, you know, tactic against every team that they played that just slowly squeeze the life out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but not impress anybody, which is still hilarious to me. Uh, I don't think that Jim Tressel could continue coaching or, or, you know, basically game planning the same way that he did in the early two thousands. I, I think the game had changed too significantly for that. And I think he left at a good time for someone if he hadn't you know, planned on changing too much of what he did. I don't think Ohio State would have the same success in the last 10 years following the Jim Trestle system, uh, you know, playing Trestle ball. I don't think that's viable anymore. Um, and I think, honestly, towards the end of this past decade, you saw kind of something similar with Urban Meyer's system. So I'm just curious, and I would be very interested to know if Ryan Day has that same sentiment. So I don't know. That's That's what I'm thinking. And honestly, if you're listening to this, Send that into us too. Let us know. I'm curious, what would be the one thing you would want to wring out of Ryan Day if he could not avoid telling the truth? So what? send those to us because I'm really curious about what you think and about what your questions are when it comes to the football program. You know, and and, and I was thinking about this ever since we started talking about it. I mean, uh, some other ones that popped to mind, you know, like, is recruiting as awful as I envision it being? <laughs> Yeah, as I, you know, back to what we were saying earlier when you were talking about, you know, I, I didn't follow recruiting at all until I became a a fan and and regular participant um, in the uh, comments sections of stories at Eleven Warriors, and I, I just couldn't understand people. People are really passionate about recruiting. Oh sure, and yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't understand like why do you, why do you derive so much. Uh, uh, you know, energy from the whims of teens. Uh, and I always joke, you know, the, the, the old man get off my lawn in me. It's like when I miss the days when you didn't know a player's name until about his third year on campus, when he finally cracks the starting <laughs> rotation kind of deal, you know, after, after yeah. that red shirt season and so on. But, but now that I'm, you know, more exposed to it and have been following it low these many years, uh, being associated with the site, 
I just always wonder, like, it seems like that would be an awful, awful, awful part of the job for me. Oh, and God. so I want to know, like, do those, how do those guys really feel about it? Do they, in a million do they enjoy years, it? I would never want to do it. It just horrible. Like, and that's the thing, like I'm the kind of person I, here's what I think a lot of people do when they follow recruiting is that they project how they would react to the recruiting process onto teens in 2020. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, here's, here's, here's my perspective. I graduated high school in 2003. If I was a top flight five-star recruit, I wouldn't want anybody calling my house. I didn't know social media existed, but if I did have social media, I wouldn't want anybody like texting me or sending me messages. Cause I don't like, I don't like that. I don't like that process. I find it fake. I find it inauthentic. I think it sucks, but that's not how kids communicate today. That's something that like their mode of communication is different and that doesn't make it bad. doesn't make it worse. It just means that it's different. And for me personally, I wouldn't enjoy it, but I think there's a lot of kids who like getting just a, you know, good morning text or a, you know, a cool picture from, you know, the, the social media account of some, you know, guy who's just making stuff for teens. Like I, those are things that kids enjoy. And that doesn't, again, doesn't make it bad, but it's not something I would get into. So I think I look at that and I think other people look at that and go like, Oh man, I can't believe this. (laughs) And I just know that if it were my job to enter into that world and like have that communication style, I would be like tearing my hair out. I don't know how I would be able to handle that. That's just, it's, I don't know how the Mark Pantone's and the Ryan days and the, even Tony Alford's, you know, I don't, I just, I don't know. It, it is a different mindset of communication and it's just not one that I would personally enjoy at all. I suppose I the, the answer to that is this is what they pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's true. <laughs> so, so maybe it is that simple, Johnny Lee, maybe it is that simple. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that give is... me a half million simoleons a year, and I yeah. will I will do it fondly. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good. If you can if you can break down uh, your like messages to recruits and, and like the tens of thousands every time you do it, or the thousands every time you do, it, I think you would be more willing to engage in social media. I guess. Um, although, frankly, with the amount that they're sending out, it's still probably like a buck <laughs> per. per uh, dm or whatever so um so anyway we'll get on to ask us anything but before we do that we want to remind you that the dry goods store is our sponsor here at the 11 dubcast so go to the dry goods store uh drygoods.11warriors.com shirts hats stickers all kinds of fun things uh go ahead and check it out we got a lot of great stuff let's do ask us anything and, and you can send us any questions ask us anything and really in the off season it's our lifeblood so please continue to do so uh to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11 warriors on Twitter. This question here is from Matt. Uh, first of all, Matt just wants to comment to you, Andy. He says over great protest, I put on bluey for my four year old oh. and seven year old. And they were almost immediately laughing hysterically. And I was the picker of new best new shows ever. Uh, but then it happened. The seven year old said, I wish you were as funny as the dad on bluey. Uh, yeah. So thanks that. for that, Andy. Uh, Matt, Matt, I can just say uh, I feel your pain because I <laughs> frequently watch the show and say, "Man, Bandit's got it going on. That dude Bluey? knows what's what." He's so, yeah. It, the Bandit getting some pub. I, I I would like. I've seen Bluey pop up in like three different uh sh- like you know uh, articles now about shows to watch while you're quarantined. That's it's legit. I, I yeah, think you started a movement, dude. It's it's really good and and but Matt's right. Bandit is the dad is Bluey's dad, and that man. I don't know if it's just that Australian cool, but he he has got the answer to everything. Um, <laughs> the 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 Healer family parents 
are brilliant and may may i be half as good a dad as as bandit is to bluey and bingo so man i'm go. i'm with you brother <laughs> yeah the mom the mom on peppa pig and the dad on bluey they're they're power you know power power parenting yeah right there you there. go um okay so this is his question he says this one's a little dark he says harvey dent and the dark knight rises said you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain and as Buckeye fans, we have seen this come true with Woody and Trestle and Urban, all coaches we love but are disliked outside the fan base. Does Ryan Day escape this trend? By the way, real quick, Matt, I have repeatedly used this reference in the past. I think being the head coach of Ohio State football is like being uh, the defense against dark arts uh, professor <laughs> at Hogwarts. Like, there's really no good end Like with what happens. Like, you're just kind of, it's just not going to end well no matter what. Um, and it's funny because I remember it was probably three or four years ago. We were on the dubcast and, and we're talking about how like, um, you know, is urban Meyer going to be the first guy in a long time to be able to kind of write his own ending to what's going on with Ohio state? Because at the time I was like, everything's going great. You know, even Ohio state isn't winning national championships. They're still, you know, they're still winning 10, 11, 12, no, not even 10. They're winning 11, 12, 13 games every single season. So why would Urban Meyer ever, you know, be forced out? And then, of course, everything happens with Zach Smith and things snowball from there. But I don't know. I You can never tell the future. I, I thought Jim Trestle was going to be able to write his own ending, right, with how things were going. I thought he was going to coach Absolutely. for another five, ten years and then go off to the administrative sunset. I thought Urban Meyer was going to coach for another 15 years at Ohio State because he had just had things rolling and didn't seem super stressed. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I would love to say Ryan Day is going to be at Ohio State for 20 years and then retire a Buckeye and then we write, you know, songs about him and make statues and all kinds of stuff. But I have no clue at this point because I've been burned in the past by trying to make those kind of predictions, frankly. Yeah, I I, I mean, I think it's back to what we were talking about earlier when we were, were saying has has Day and company, you know, have they turned it up and, and I think you made the pretty astute comparison that you know the way Trestle was coaching at the end of his tenure you know the game sort of continues to evolve and you have to evolve with it uh and we've seen you know Ryan Hayes even I mean gosh that Urban Meyer offense was a pretty well-oiled machine right and you look yeah. and say you you add Ryan Day to the mix and all of a sudden you're like wow they're, they're maybe even a little better <laughs> right. The, so, right. so I think there's a component of that to do you, when you're at a school like Ohio state or Michigan or Penn state or Alabama or wherever, you know, you've got to continue to perform at, at a level to which the fan base is accustomed. So if you, if you look at the longest tenured coaches in FBS division one now, right? So Kirk Ferentz is, is the, the godfather at this stage, longest tenured Sure. Uh, Division one coach, you know, started in 1999. All right. Well, if you fire Kirk Ferentz, what's, you know, what's going to happen? You know, so of course he has the best agent in all of sports, obviously, because he does. every 12 minutes he gets a new contract extension. Um, but Gary Patterson at TCU. All right. What are the expectations at TCU? You know, it's not national title or bust every year. No. Um, Oklahoma State, same thing. Mike Gundy's been there since 05. You know, so we're not talking about guys that have been at schools for 40 years, but okay. You're at the 15 year mark, um, you know, Kyle Whittingham um, at Utah, same thing, 05. So what are the expectations at those schools? When I look at the longest tenured programs, you know, Nick Saban's the one that has longevity and performance. Like when you, you look at the, the oldest, say 10 or 20, um, he's been there since 07. You know what his story is. Likewise, Dabo was there. You think about Dabo as being the young coach on the block. 
Um, <laughs> but he's been at Clemson a year less than Saban's been at Alabama, right? Yeah. So, I mean, both both pretty similar tenures. Age is different, you know. Obviously, um, Saban's older, older, but tenure at their spot. But beyond that, you scroll down through here, and and the longest tenured coaches in the league are are not ones who are winning you know, year in and year out at that level. So I think that's part of it. Um, it's expectations. It's managing expectations. And if you can't adapt and continue to perform at a high, high level, then, you know, and likewise, the longer you're there and maybe, um, you know, that's the, the skeletons of the closet come out. If you're not there long enough, people don't know where to find the bodies. I don't know. Maybe that's, well, maybe that's part of it. No, no. And I don't think you're wrong about that. The other thing that I would say is that I think people still believe in the idea of this, you know, coach who goes to one school, stays there for 35 years and then never leaves and wins, you know, 10 national championships and blah, blah, blah. I don't, that's just not the way coaching works anymore. That's not. But, it, I mean, it did it ever, like did it ever though? I mean, how many national titles did Joe Paterno win? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, no, it happened, I, I, I mean, Bear Bryant, it happened to Bear Bryant. That was it. Right. Right. Like how and, many, I think that's the myth, but I mean, that's, that's what I think that's it is. I think it's a myth is what I'm saying. Oh, you know sure. what I mean? Like that, they, yes. they want their coach to embody that ideal. They want their coach to have like this, this attachment to the school that never, ever ceases. And, you know, they're just great forever. And because they see Bear Bryant and they see, you know, other coaches okay. who are these legendary icons. Um, and I just, you know, Ryan Day could go for the NFL. Like, if he has two or three more really great seasons at Ohio State, wins a national championship, whatever, and all of a sudden, I don't know, Belichick retires or something. Like, are you are you going to tell me that Ryan Day, if he gets a call from the Patriots, isn't going to go like, nah, I'm good in Columbus. Sorry. Like, of course he's going to talk to the Patriots. Of course he's going to. Nah, know, Brady's gone. Everyone. It's over. It's over. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. We'll see. But it, to me, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I just don't know. I don't know what people expect necessarily, but I just don't think that that's, that's the way it works anymore. And that's, that's okay, but it's just going to be different. And I hope that Ryan day is able to kind of write his own ending at Ohio state and doesn't get fired and isn't like found to like been embezzling, you know, money from children's <laughs> hospitals or something like that. But I don't know. I mean, here's, I, didn't think, you know, I didn't think urban, I didn't think urban Meyer would get like suckered in by, you know, Zach Smith of all people. And I didn't think that, <laughs> Jim Tressel would be taken down because he lied to the NCAA about his players selling their own property. <laughs> like I, and, you can't predict that stuff. I and no this clue. is our monthly reminder that Jim Tressel was felled in the stupidest NCAA yeah. scandal of all time. Correct. And I will never get over it. Um, and I have pledged undying fealty to the distinguished gentleman from Youngstown. The I, only th- the only thing I'm mad about still about that is that I was even briefly like angry at Jim Tressel over the whole thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, you idiot. And then I was like, wait a minute, who cares? Yeah, super dumb. <laughs> you know why I'm still mad about it? Because my God, Ohio State beat Arkansas in the Sugar Bowl. I they was sure there. Did. It happened. Hang the yeah. bloody banner. They did. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, that's the 11 Dubcast, and that's also Ask Us Anything. Um, you know, hang in there. Everybody sit tight. We're going to do the best that we can. I appreciate uh, everyone turning in and, and, and you know, listening to us kind of ramble and whatnot, especially in lieu of actual sporting events going on. Uh, but we'll definitely be here next week, and we'll we'll keep you appraised of all the goings and comings of, of college sports and particularly Ohio State, obviously. Uh, but until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time.